All right, let's take our Bibles again and turn to uh, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, as we look at uh, the hour has come, and I'm going to use the word sent here as the, uh, um, the topic of uh, this uh, particular passage that we're looking at. We're looking at chapter 20, uh, verses 19 uh, through 23. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. We'll just read this uh, uh, before we begin. Then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, stood in their midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And we had, he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and uh, saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained." Quiet. All right. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it again. Uh, The primary purpose for our coming together, assembling in our local church, is not actually the salvation of sinners. Some might disagree with that, but a church meeting, as we assemble together, is not basically for salvation of sinners. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I want to be quick to assure you we are interested in winning people to Christ. But the primary purpose for assembling here in our church is, first of all, to worship the Lord with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, and then grow to become the servants of God uh, that He wants us to be as we walk around in this world. Now, to be sure, we present the gospel in our songs and in our preaching. Uh, We give invitations uh, to those who need Christ. And some of you, perhaps here tonight, were saved in a church service. And I praise God for that. Uh, Or you were saved as a result of hearing the gospel preached in church. And perhaps you went from the church service and you say, that's what I need. I need to get saved. And so you either uh, went to the Word of God yourself or you had someone show you from God's Word how to be saved. And I don't want to minimize the winning of people to Christ. Uh, Missions must be a passion of a local church. Uh, The worth and glory of our God must be the chief desire and priority, but following close at hand is the work of missions which our our God has given to us. But the problem is that soul winning or missions is considered someone else's job but not that of the average church member. Uh, It has become all too easy in our day to relegate missions to a mission board or uh, to those invisible faces called missionaries. You know, sometimes uh, a little child will pray and heard them pray for all the missionaries on the cornfield. What they meant was all the missionaries on the foreign field. They misunderstood. You know how kids can understand, misunderstand words. Uh, pray for all the missionaries on the cornfield. Well, it's not the cornfield, it's the foreign field. 
But uh, sometimes we just kind of lump all of our missionaries together in one group and we don't even think about their individual needs. And that's why we, it's important to read their letters, be uh, aware of them. That's why we have a missionary of the week, so we have those names uh, uh, before you. Uh, but uh, most of the world, you realize, lies outside the borders of our, our nation. But yet the vast majority of the financial and personal resources remain here in our at home. Typically, only time most people give any thought to missions is when their church is having a special promotion for missions or missions giving. But in light of the text here, this is not what our hearts should be concerned about. Should not be the mission, uh, should it not be the mission burns in our hearts every day? And the sequence of our text, I don't believe, is an accident. Of course, God is a God of order, and He puts things in the right order. Uh, the Apostle John carefully lays out for us the week of our Lord's passion. Uh, what we, we've been calling the hour has come. All through John, Jesus was saying, mine hour has not come, mine hour has not come. Now it had come, and John gives to us how Jesus drank of the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. The death of Christ was affirmed by his burial. Remember, his burial was the death certificate. Uh, the successful completion of the redemptive work of Christ was confirmed in what we talked about this morning, his resurrection. And John records that in the first encounter that the risen Lord had with his disciples, here in these verses of our text this evening, he commissions them as a representative of the church for the work of missions. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ became the triumphant launching pad of his commissioning believers in missions. Now, of course, in Matthew, we have the great commission given to us in Matthew chapter, uh, the, the, uh, Matthew chapter 28. And then you have a similar commission given in Mark chapter 16. And here in John, you have this particular passage that kind of gives us the same uh, message as Jesus talks about uh, missions. And I believe we are, can readily say that the work of missions is a resurrection gift of Christ to his people. Because apart from the resurrection, there is no mission. If Jesus died and never arose again, we have nothing to say. Uh, he, he would have just died like any other religious leader has died, and there's nothing that can, comes of that. Uh, people may worship religious leaders who are still dead in their, in their graves today, but uh, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, uh, there would be no mission. But Jesus Christ has finished the work. We have the most important business in the world as our agenda and seeing that missions is everybody's responsibility can help us bring a local church in line with the purpose established by the Lord. Now, I know that many times we as preachers are, can be accused of trying to hype missions from time to time as a part of our responsibility, our duty. Uh, though, though it's uh, thought to have very little relevancy to day-to-day -to -day living. You know, we might have a missions conference or we might have a missionary come and present their work. 
and then we go on with our our week and uh, uh, we we don't even think about uh, what's going on in regard to missions and yet I see this as something that must be at the heart of our everyday life something that must be a part of our everyday life as long as the glory of God and the souls of men are relevant then missions must have an important part in our lives and in our church And because we're the recipients of the work of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, then we too are a part of the commission for missions which Christ gave to his apostles. Now, with all the excuses and other interests that can distract us, we must think through what it is to be involved in missions as the redeemed of the Lord. Someone has called us, to have a mindset, a way of thinking that's called a world Christian. Now, you notice I did not say a worldly Christian, okay? It's two completely different things. We have enough worldly Christians. But someone said, you know, we should be a world Christian. Now, not every Christian is called to be a missionary to go to a different part of the world. But every follower of Christ is called to be a world Christian or a Christian in this world. A world Christian is someone who is so gripped by the glory of God and the glory of his global purpose that he chooses to align himself with God's mission to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea, according to Habakkuk 2.14. Everything a world Christian does, he does with a view of revering God's name and coming the coming of God's kingdom among the peoples of the earth. And the prayer that we should have as a world Christian, a Christian living in this world, is given to us in Psalm 67, verse 3. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. And so our mission is to be a missionary where we are or to actively support and pray for those missionaries who go where we cannot go. I often think of our missionaries as representatives of us in places where we cannot go. And that's why I'm very careful about who we support. I don't want a missionary someplace that's not representing what we represent. And so we need to be very careful in that area. So let's consider this Resurrection Day commissioning for missions and see what it means for us to be involved in the work of being sent by Christ to the world. Notice, first of all, the authority for missions. The authority. You know, if we had no authority for going, then we would have no confidence when difficulties rise, nor will others recognize the validity of our message. If I were to walk in the Russian White House, which is not the Kremlin, actually, it's another place uh, uh, where Vladimir Putin has his office. And and if I would walk in there and attempt to make policies with him regarding the relationship of the United States and Russia, he would probably not give me the time of the day. Now, first of all, I probably wouldn't get to walk in, okay? Uh, But if I was able to do that, Uh, it would not be for lack of seeking to articulate or stating something of importance. But he would not listen because I have not been appointed by the President of the United States for that task. 
Besides, I'd probably be accused of colluding with Russia if I did that. Now, my lack of authority, though, would invalidate my message. It would also bring me cause of fear that I might be shipped off to Siberia for misrepresenting my nation. But if I received an appointment by the president for such a task, Mr. Putin would be all ears. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, the newfound authority would be in the commission given to me by the one responsible for the policies of our nation. I would have the confidence with all that authority of my nation uh, that my nation stood with me in the discharge of my, my duties. And I remind us tonight that we have even a greater than all the kings and presidents and emperors of the world in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is none other than our Lord himself who has appointed and commissioned his saints with responsibility of extending the kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, how do we know that this authority for missions is ours? Notice, first of all, the peace of reconciliation. The peace of reconciliation. Now, though Jesus had been taught of the Jewish political system, uh, the disciples were afraid of the same fate of Christ might be theirs. So they quietly hid themselves behind closed doors. And in that security, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus Christ appeared in their midst on the evening of the resurrection day. And his first words in verse 19 were, Peace be unto you. Now that could be viewed as a typical greeting in the first century. Jews even today greet one another quite often with the word shalom or peace. So it could be seen as a greeting. But the significance in this greeting, I think, is found in its repetition. In verse 20, after he had showed unto them his hands and his side, Jesus told them in verse 21, peace be unto you. Now, how could they have peace when they faced such grave danger? Because the peace that Christ gives transcends all temporal danger and gives a person confidence to face eternity. It was after they saw that the one who had died for them, giving evidence of the imprint of, his, of the nails in his hands and the thrust of the spear in his side, that they could have the peace of reconciliation. All the enmity between them and God had been removed by the atoning wounds of Christ in his sacrificial death. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's when we have knowledge of being reconciled to God through Christ that we have authority for missions. Uh, those who are yet to be reconciled have no authority. They haven't experienced the redemptive work of Christ. If someone's not saved, they don't have the authority to go out and be a missionary. They have no authority to, 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 to preach the gospel. They stand in need of the gospel message themselves. They stand in need of grace, of repentance and faith. But the peace of reconciliation to God gives you and me authority for missions. Secondly, there's the reality of participation. 
the reality of participation. After declaring peace to his disciples, the Lord delivers to them and to us a commission which stands to the end of the ages. He said, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. It's a very similar prayer, uh, which he prayed in John 17 and verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Now there's a slight play on words here in our text. Uh, If you look at uh, that uh, verse there in verse 21, uh, the, the play on words is with the word send. The word send has two, is two different words in the Greek language. John often does this without necessarily adding theological distinctions. But in this case, I believe there is an interesting emphasis. The first sent, peace, I le- uh, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent. That is a word that refers to one who is sent as an authoritative representative. It's really the, the Greek word uh, apostello. And you can guess which word we get from apostello. The apostles, right? They were the sent ones uh, that Jesus sent. So that's, he sent them with authority. Uh, there is, uh, this is a word that's used in both instances in John 17 and verse 18, many places in John's gospel, in reference to Christ being sent from heaven. And here it seems to have a reference to our Lord being the solitary representative of the Godhead to humanity, having been sent to effect our redemption by the sacrifice of his own life before the judgment of God. Now the second word is the word send. It's a little different word, and it indicates one being sent to participate in the work of another. While we are not working or we're not marking extreme theological differences in these words. It is a wonderful truth, though, that the mediator has given us the privilege of participating in his ongoing work. Do we mediate as he did? No, we are not mediators. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. So we're not going to mediate as Christ did, but we're going to participate in the work that he's given. Uh, we do serve. Actually, we serve as kings and priests, according to Revelation 1 and verse 6. And we're seeking to offer the saving truth of the gospel to sinners throughout the world. And so we're not mediators, but we are participators. You know, when we consider that Jesus sends us as he was sent, we must think of this primarily in the terms of the work of redemption. Again, he is the only one who can redeem sinners. I can't redeem any sinners. I can't save any sinners. Only Jesus can do that. And yet he has given us the word of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, God did beseech you by us. Pray, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Uh, and he sent us to be ambassadors uh, for him, representatives of him. Same passage there in 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. And if our sense of mission is authentic in identifying with the work of Christ, then we must have a redemptive element to it. 
And though Christians should lead the world to relieving uh, the many social distresses that face humanity, that is still not our mission. Our mission is not to be a social organization. Many have confused that for Christians, and they are preaching a social gospel instead of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the redemptive work of Jesus. Our mission relates to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. As he sent uh, uh, as he was sent to accomplish the redemption of sinners, we are sent to declare the reality and the necessity of redemption. We're to proclaim the gospel, calling upon sinners to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Now, how far does this participation go? Well, in other references to the Great Commission, a further clarifying of the duty of a church... Uh, like ours, was given us by the Lord, prepared to ascend back to the Father. Uh, There's an important word that shows us the extent of our participation. The Bible says in Matthew 28 and verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations. All nations. The word nations there is not to be thought of a geopolitical term like the nation of uh, the of. Uh, of France or Germany or or whatever, uh, but the word there is uh, the word. That's the word we. That's what we think of when we think of the word nations. But the word here is actually the word ethnos, which refers instead to groups of people. It's often translated as Gentiles, as distinct from Jews. Now the Gentiles were not just one group of people. Uh, the Gentiles were anybody that wasn't a Jew. So that would include multitudes of people in multitude of different people groups. That's a natural grouping by which people are joined together by a common affinity of language, culture, religion, and so forth. Now, according to John, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, he records the new song sung before the throne of God. And we have kind of a grasp of the extent of our mission when we know the extent of the atoning work of Christ. It says in Revelation 5, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we should, that we should reign on the earth. Now, the language of the New Testament never speaks of the atoning death of Christ in indefinite terms. Rather, it speaks of an actual work taking place on behalf of actual sinners. So the work of missions is to reach every people group on the face of the earth. You say, well, that's kind of hard for just one little church to do, isn't it? And that's one of the reasons why we have representatives. Okay? But Christ died effectually to save people from every segment of the world's society. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So our authority for missions comes in the peace of being reconciled to God through Christ and the reality that he has commissioned us to participate with him in this redemptive mission. We see that the extent of our mission demands that we not just look at getting the gospel to 250 plus countries in the world, 
but communicating the gospel in some fashion to the multiplied thousands and thousands of people, groups in the world. So, secondly, we have the power for missions. First, we have the authority for missions. Secondly, the power. How can we even begin to think about this massive task? Again, I say it's kind of hard for us as a small group to think, how are we going to reach the whole world? Well, it seems like an impossible task to us, with all of, uh, even with all of our technology and our rapid transportation uh, available for Christian use. Uh, back in the, the disciples' day, they didn't have all the technology. They didn't have the transportation. They walked most of the places that they went or rode some kind of animal animal to get to get there. Uh, just imagine how these 10 disciples behind locked doors felt when they received this commission. You think it's hard for you to imagine, for us to imagine, how can we fulfill this commission? What about those disciples that were there in that, uh, in that room? Uh, how were they going to accomplish this? They had no money. They had no power, they had no technology, they had no formal education, they had no means of rapid transportation, no multitude of mediums of communication, but they were given what was necessary to accomplish the task. After commissioning them, John says in verse 22, and he said this, when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So notice here the source of power. The source of power. In many ways, our technology and transportation, I think, have become hindrances to being effectively uh, proclaiming the gospel. Now, again, don't misunderstand. They're wonderful tools. Uh, We have missionaries that are using technology to get the gospel out in various places. Uh, Tim Smith is doing that on the uh, internet, uh, what he cannot do when in there in person. Uh, so those tools uh, are, are available to us. They're wonderful tools, but they're tools. They're not power. They're not the power that Christians need in the work of missions. Instead, uh, we're to see that our power comes from God. Our power for missions is given by the Lord himself. When Christ breathed on them, it was not an individual walking into the room and breathing on everybody. No, instead, as this group represented believers throughout the ages, God breathed on them. He had already told them that he was uh, must ascend back to the Father so that he could give them the gift of the Comforter. Remember, we talked about the Comforter back in John chapter 16. The Paraclete, the one who comes alongside the one who is our comforter, our helper. Of course, this return to the Father implied going by the way of the cross, the burial, the resurrection. And now the same Holy Spirit whom the Lord or whom the Son has, has in common with the Father is now given to us to represent him before the world. And so as God breathed into Adam the breath of life, so the Holy Spirit breathes life and power into us as Christ's witnesses. As the wind breathed life into Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, so the Spirit of God comes into our inability 
and clothes us with the God-given adequacy for the work of missions. And our trust is not to be in our tools. It's not to be, our trust is not to be in our ability to organize. It's not to be in our ability to speak or to convince. No, we should avail ourselves of the wonderful tools of God has provided, but no tool can regenerate one sinner. Not one sinner. Only the Spirit of God can give life to the message of proclamation and the life to those who hear. Later in Acts chapter 1, we find disciples waiting in Jerusalem for the power of the Spirit to come upon them. They waited until the Holy Spirit endued them with an enablement beyond their own abilities. And then they saw God accomplish things through them which they could not have ever imagined. And so we need to avail ourselves to the divine power which belongs to us in our missionary enterprises. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit for the work, and so we must allow the Spirit to control us and to use us for the work of bringing others to Christ. So the source of the power is the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the necessity of power. The necessity of power. The whole issue of spiritual power is is not an option for missionary labor. A neglect of spiritual power in our day has led to the proliferation of man-centered techniques to accomplish what only the Spirit of God can do. And so we see the use of psychological manipulation of the masses into a religious response so that man can parade and tell people what he's done. But what has that done for saving a hopeless sinner? When Jesus told the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, he was implying that he needed the Holy Spirit to accomplish his work, and so do we. At his baptism, you recall how the Spirit descended upon the Lord in bodily fashion as a dove from heaven. The Holy Spirit empowered our Lord for the work and the ministry. Later, the multitudes listened to him preach and they exclaimed, Never a man spake as this man spake. Well, what was it? His use of the language? His uh, degrees from from the Bible college that he got? No. And certainly the Lord spoke with great wisdom in every word, but that wasn't it. Maybe it was the use of his stories. Maybe he told a lot of stories. Other teachers of that era used used stories to communicate. Though none as our Lord did. He had some parables. But it wasn't his stories. So what was the difference as he spoke to the multitudes? He spoke with the fullness of God's power by the Holy Spirit. Every word he uttered, he did so in the power of the Spirit. Now he has sent us as he was sent. As he depended upon the Holy Spirit and his work, should we not do the same who follow after him? You know, when we consider the hardness of men's hearts and their stubbornness to the gospel, we realize that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in proclaiming the gospel to them. When we realize the fact that of our own weaknesses, our fears, our inabilities, we should call, it should cause us to cry out for the power of the Holy Spirit for the work of the gospel. Are we just doing a temporal work? Are we simply trying to improve people's lives for a few years? 
and then they die? No, ours is an eternal work. And it's something that's going to last forever. The forever is at stake in the proclamation of the gospel. Can we proclaim it, whether from this pulpit or one-on-one, without the power of the Spirit? We can try, but we'll only accomplish what man can accomplish, and that is never anything eternal. You know, when Jesus breathed on the disciples, he was visibly demonstrating the reality of the Spirit's fullness of every Christian. The Holy Spirit dwells in every Christian. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. That is to live under the control of the Holy Spirit moment by moment. And we're told to walk in the Spirit rather than walk in the flesh. Uh, we're commanded to take to ourselves for the stand of uh, commanded to take to ourselves for the stand of the gospel, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and let us yield wholly to the Spirit's control and trust Him to enable us as messengers of the gospel of Christ. Whatever part we have in the work of missions, whether it's praying or planning or giving or going, let us seek to do it in the power of the Spirit. And so we find here the authority for missions, the power for missions, and then thirdly, the aim in missions. Many things pass for missions in our day. Well, there are plenty of good things that could be done to help people. Uh, we must be involved in many of these. We can be involved in many of these kinds of things, but missions has to be the particular aim. The heart of it found in the words of our Lord in the Resurrection Evening Commission. Notice verse twenty-three: Whosoever sins, ye remit. They are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now that passage has been, I think, abused by some groups who claim that they have some kind of unique power to forgive sins. I can't forgive anybody their sins. And so we must not be sidetracked by that kind of thinking and fail to understand the heart of missions. The fact is only God himself can forgive sins in relationship to God. And only God knows the heart of a person or as to whether or not they have truly repented and believed the gospel of Christ. And I think we should keep this in mind as our text here will teach us three particulars concerning the aim in missions. First of all, reconciliation to God. We can engage in many worthwhile endeavors throughout the world. There are incredible needs in the vast majority of the world. There is a need for hunger relief, medical assistance, orphan relief, agricultural assistance, financial help and counseling, building of shelters, installing water wells, providing jobs by industrial development, teaching literacy, etc., etc., and we could go on and on and see this. I believe that all of these endeavors are worthy of the time that Christians of Christians and worthy of our involvement. But in saying this, I would hasten to point out that we can do all those things without any reference to the reconciliation to God. You know, the United Nations is involved in all of these things. But they have no interest in seeing men reconciled to God. 
Various social agencies in our nation are involved in these kinds of endeavors. They help to relieve some of the world's suffering, but they offer no hope for eternity. And I realize that I I'm walking kind of a thin line when discussing these things. As Christians, we should not turn a blind eye to the suffering of the world. There's no problem in being involved in some degree in helping with some worthwhile needs. But even more so, our primary aim is to be involved in declaring to people the wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In each of the four gospels, you'll find the commission of Christ to the disciples says nothing about the issue of social relief. Not one time is that mentioned. There are certainly other passages in the teachings of Christ that point to these things, but in reference to the Great Commission, the focal point is upon man as a sinner receiving forgiveness for his sins and being reconciled to God. Some so-called mission agencies will get so involved in humanitarian aid that they forget their primary purpose is to give people the gospel. Certainly there's a place for missionaries to use the tools uh, that uh, are available. The tool of agriculture is based providing opportunities to proclaim the Christ of, uh, uh, as Lord. Others might use the vehicle of medical assistance to open doors for explaining eternal matters. You think of some of the old missionaries. William Carey used medicine, agriculture, and industry to help in the work of missions. Hudson Taylor used his medical skills to open doors for the furtherance of the gospel. And what I believe we need to see is that whether we're helping people by building shelters or providing food or giving medical assistance, our ultimate goal should be to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that sinners might be reconciled to God. That's what we want to see. And so there's reconciliation to God. Secondly, there's redemption in Christ. The message of this passage points to the work of Christ having already been accomplished. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. The word remit has a sense to release or to leave or to forgive. I think in this context regarding sin, it has a sense to forgive. So the understanding is in recalling that the God can only for, is the only one that can forgive what Jesus granted to his disciples and to us by extension was the prospect of presenting the terms of forgiveness. No, we're not forgiving, but we're telling them how they can be forgiven. All right? As we withhold the truth from others, they're going to remain in their sins. Uh, this, the so-called keys to the kingdom lie in the basis of forgiveness, which is faith in Christ. And as we preach Christ and the simple gospel of salvation, the prospect for forgiveness is presented to the people. If we withhold that truth from them, they're likely to remain in their sin. So there's, there's the reconciliation to God, there's redemption in Christ, and then there's the certainty of Christ's finished work. We are proclaimers as Christians. Again, we cannot save anyone, but we can certainly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and his finished work for salvation of sinners. We have the message unlike any which the world offers to fainting hearts. 
And while the multitudes will line up for psychological pep talks or emotional massages or philosophical mind games to find relief of their guilt due to sin, we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The remitting and the retaining that's in our text here implies that God alone who does the forgiving and God alone who applies the judgment due to men for their sins. We're merely the messengers sent by the risen Lord to declare his salvation to the peoples of the world. And we would insist that only the gospel of Christ has the power to save sinners. I think we should be unapologetic about that. Some will argue with us, perhaps call us too narrow, but we must never shrink back from the privilege that's ours to proclaim the good news. And so we must all be involved in missions as the people of God. For our risen Lord has sent us into the world with the saving message of his finished work. Some will go personally, maybe to a foreign land. Others will be involved in sending them on their way, supporting them in the work, holding their ministry up before the Lord in prayer. Others of us may sense a compulsion from the Lord to yield up some of our sons and daughters for the work of missions. To the people groups of the world, some of us may sense from the Lord that we need to aim our careers, our retirements toward going to another country or carrying the good news of the gospel. But we are on a mission in this world wherever we are. You walk out the doors of this church tonight. You walk out into the mission field. And so we need to be conscious of speaking the truth of the gospel to those who are about us uh, in, in eternal need. And so never shrink back from the task of missions for the Holy Spirit has come to enable us to do what God has sent us to do. The hour has come and the Lord has sent his disciples. He sent us to do his work. Let's pray. Father in heaven,